Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study through the Bible. We have been uh, working our way through for the last eight years, and uh, some of you have been here most of the time, so good for you. We did the New Testament. That took five years and change, and now we are working through the Old Testament a chapter at a time in the same manner. We have covered the book of Genesis, and we are into the 29th chapter of the book of Exodus tonight. Studying the Scripture this way, I think, is helpful primarily for context. Uh, it helps you sort of know how the story goes and how it fits together and what's happening. And having been through the New Testament, those who are here, now we can see things that were um, being foreshadowed and things that were happening as we walk through the Old Testament. Particularly here in the book of Exodus, there's a lot of uh, typology, if you would, of right now we're talking about the high priest and of our great high priest Jesus, and we'll even see how it fits into us as the royal priesthood today. Uh, remember in Exodus, I said there's things we're trying to um, remember that if you think about the book of Exodus, you should think there's four things in Exodus uh, I should be aware of. One of them is the Passover and all the events leading up to the Passover, of the, you know, the plagues and everything, but you know, that was a big event in the book of Exodus. The parting of the Red Sea was another big event in the book of Exodus, and now um, there's two more, the tabernacle and the law. Uh, and so, you know, uh, this I think it's very helpful when you look at some of these books. You go, what was that book all about? And if you can remember a few things, it's very helpful. You remember we did that all the way through Genesis, and I said the Genesis is primarily around four events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Good, and then it revolves around four people primarily. There's lots of other people involved, but primarily... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so, because we went through Genesis for so long, that sticks with you when I bring it up every now and again. Now it's the same kind of deal. So think about these things as we think about the book of Exodus. And we still got uh, quite a bit of ground to cover in Exodus. These chapters, um, sort of 16 through 40, are uh, a lot about the tabernacle and things that happen. We spent the entire period of time last week talking about clothes, and uh, so that was a big deal for me, a fashion thing for, uh, for the time. But, you know, we were, we were looking at the way that they were going to dress, the high priest was going to dress, uh, and uh, his sons were going to dress, and, and the, how important that was, and there was a lot of different uh, types and things that were happening in there. But uh, uh, this week, we're going to continue on in that process. Uh, and we're going to see references to Aaron's sons and what their ministry is about to, you know, what they're going to do. And um, the connection for us that, that um, the sons, you know, Aaron's sons um, in, in ultimately sort of include us in this idea of priesthood. And, um, and you'll see how that works and how it ties into Jesus as we look through these things together. So Jesus, you know, is the, he's the full expression of the ideal uh, priestly beauty of holiness, and as his disciples, we're, we're called to fix our eyes on him and understand that he's our model for life and ministry, and that should be impacting to us. And when you read about Aaron as a high priest, you, you, can, you can call in a lot of things to Jesus as the ultimate high priest. Aaron was going to be a type, but he was going to fall way short of the ideal. Jesus would be the ideal. Aaron's sons would fall way short of the ideal, but... Um, in place was coming this, this priesthood 
and um, ultimately now it's a royal priesthood that we're involved in. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which we're looking through uh, these verses uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, Peter actually says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so Peter makes a connection that we're part now in Christ of this royal priesthood. We're called to serve the Lord. That's what the priests were called to do. And uh, also in Revelation, um, you know, John wrote that we are a kingdom and priest to serve God, uh, our God and Father. And so um, we do that through Jesus. And so we have these understandings of what's happening. So as you look through this, uh, this chapter in Exodus, don't think that it doesn't apply because it does. And uh, I will talk about some ways it applies on the other side that we can look to in our own roles as people who are called to minister to the Lord. I like that picture that all of us are part of a royal priesthood. Um, it's, a, it's a neat picture because it includes everybody. So, so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not just, oh, well, there's certain people that do those things. We're all called to be part of this royal priesthood that... Uh, that God has put together in Christ. We're the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So um, let's look at Exodus 29. It's fairly long, so I'm going to take a little while to read it. 46 verses, and then we will discuss it on the other side, beginning in verse 1. This is what you're to do to consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from fine wheat flour without yeast, make bread and cakes mixed with oil and wafers spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it, along with the bull and the two rams. One thing that you should note as I read, how, how blessed we are that Jesus has paid the ultimate <laughs> final sacrifice, and this isn't happening any longer. Just think about, this was seven days they had to go through to get to the point where they could start doing their thing, which was every day. Okay, just so you know. So just listen to all of these things, how detailed it is. Then bring Aaron, I'm in verse 4, and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband and put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. Turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring the sons and dress uh, bring his sons and dress them in tunics and put headcloth on them, then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. In this way you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on his head. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, and both kidneys with the fat on them and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh in its hide and it's uh, offal outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take the blood, and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. Cut the ram into pieces, and wash the inner parts and the legs. 
putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on his head. Slaughter it. Take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs uh, of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides. And take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and their garments, and then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, and the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. From the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take a loaf and a cake made with oil and a wafer. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, an offering made to the Lord by fire. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination, wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and it will be your share. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons. The breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the regular share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It's the contribution the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offerings. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him is priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in the sacred place. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for the ordination and consecration. But no one else may eat them because they're sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it's sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I've commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy, and whoever touches it will be holy. This is what you are offering the altar regularly each day, two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering, and his drink offering is in the morning, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I think I don't really need to explain any of that. Every once in a while I read that stuff and I think, wow. Um, there's a lot going on there, but as I said, as I started, uh, when I started, it was, it was good that and you get uh, the idea of what Jesus did for us and when he made it possible for us 
to access God uh, because he, he took care of all of this stuff. So think about what was going on in this time so that God could come and dwell in the most holy place um, in this tent with these people where we wanted to be. But because they were sort of, you know, a mess, uh, he, all this stuff had to go on for them every day. And then only, you know, once a year the high priest would go into the most holy place and make atonement for the... That was the only immediate connection with the Lord like that. And we have access to the Lord now 24-7. I, just, I say all those things so you never take that for granted. Sometimes when something is like, uh, we have to be careful we don't ever, you know, not enter into the presence of God because it's so available to us, because it's such an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, one of those things that I think about and I go, I read these kind of things and I think, look at what they went through to uh, just sort of maintain uh, that relationship with God and, and look at what we have in Christ and how amazing that is. And we should never take that for granted. All right. So there's some things happening that I think you can, uh, you can apply to your own lives and how they work. And some of these things were types of what was going to happen as, as Jesus, our high priest, would take care of many of these things. So in the beginning there, the priests um, are washed. And uh, this is going to happen at the entrance to the tabernacle uh, and, uh, or, yeah, and um, it's an interesting connection because sin in the Bible is often pictured as dirt and defilement. Um, it's, got, it's pictured as other things too, but often it comes up as dirt and defilement. And so when Aaron and his sons are washed all over, it's sort of a, it's a symbolic cleansing uh, and it's a, it's a picture of what we're going to have in the Lord. See, if you've trusted in Christ, you've experienced this inward cleansing from the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, uh, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so it's a, it's a picture of that process that we have in Christ, that we've been washed clean, we've been cleansed from our sin. If you were here on the weekend, I talked about how amazing that is. We talked about what it meant to be justified that God now chooses to see us in Christ uh, in the perfection of His Son and we're cleansed from that mess. Even though we're still, in, we know, we're, you know, in the game here, that we're still a work in progress because we still got mess, but God sees us in Christ now. It's such an amazing deal. Just as if I had not sinned. Justification, amazing thing. So we've been washed and He's dealing with us in that same manner as if we've been washed clean from that mess because of what Jesus has done. So they were washed. Then, they're clothed. Uh, in verses 5 through 6 and, and uh, verses 8 and 9, it starts talking about these garments that we've been already studying. Um, and, and so Moses clothes his brother Aaron in these garments, uh, and also their sons, his sons with their linen tunics and bonnets. These were their sort of uniforms. Uh, and they were never to minister in the tabernacle dressed in any other garments. This was what they had to wear. It, it was important that they took it serious, that they took uh, their, their, and did this whole process right because they were dealing with a holy God. And um, the, the wearing of garments in Scripture, it's a picture, particularly in the Old Testament, of the character and the life of the believer. And so we're to lay aside, um, you know, 
old, the, the garments of the old life, the, the sort of filthy garments of the old life, and we're to wear these beautiful garments of grace provided by the Lord. And Christ has, has taken away the, the filthy rags, and he's given us a robe of righteousness that he purchased for us on the cross. Um, and, you know, we, we had a series not long ago where I talked about a lot of this, Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, that this idea of being new is, has this picture of new clothing, if you would. And so here we see it, uh, a type of it way back in Exodus. This was going to be the clothing they would wear um, so that, that when they did their, their ministry, but now in Christ... Our, our clothing is more of a spiritual nature, but we're to be getting rid of the old stuff and we're to be walking in the new stuff of God's grace and God's character and, and all the things that he would have for us. So, we have that happening. Then in, uh, in verse 7, in Exodus 29, and again in verse 21, the, the priests were anointed, and they were anointed with oil. And this, this oil that they used was used only to anoint the priests and the tabernacle and its furnishings. It was an oil that was just for this process. And um, in the Old Testament, we'll see um, prophets being anointed. We'll see priests being anointed. And kings were anointed. And it was a symbol that God um, would, would give them by the Spirit power for the things that he had called them to. And so I think it's a great picture, too, of this oil being poured over Aaron's head Remember how Aaron was dressed, and he, he had the, the garments that we talked about, and, and on his garments, you know, he had these precious stones that represented all of the tribes of Israel and everything else, and, and I love the picture of this oil just being poured over his head, and it, was gonna, it would run all down his beard and then all over this garment, and it was a picture of this anointing uh, of God onto the people of Israel. Um, for us, when we come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, we receive an anointing as well uh, where we have the Holy Spirit uh, who's often compared to oil in, in the Scripture. And so as a believer, we, we have this amazing anointing of the Holy Spirit, God coming and dwelling in us. We talk about that a lot. John, um, the apostle, talks a lot about the teaching ministry of the Spirit uh, in, uh, and how he guides us and, and um, um, leads us into truth uh, in, in the Word of God. Paul talks a lot about the anointing of the Spirit. He calls it, you know, he says we're anointed, we're sealed by the Spirit. Um, the, the, the Spirit is sort of a down payment of future glory. We find out in Ephesians 1.14, and because of this deposit, you know, guaranteeing what's to come, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, we're, we're to never despair or, or think that he will ever desert us, that he's got us, he's for us, and he's going to empower us in, in whatever he calls us to. And so um, in, in much the same manner as they were anointed, we have this anointing of the Holy Spirit of uh, believers. So we, we, all these things are sort of really amazing things that are happening in us. You know, we're cleansed um, uh, as we come to know the Lord and um, we're, we're given this new clothing of his righteousness and his holiness and all those things. And we're anointed by the Spirit of God to, um, to do the things that he calls us to do. Really cool stuff. Okay, then verses 10 through 14 um, comes up forgiveness. And the, the priests were, were forgiven. And uh, this would happen, you know, with the bull being slain as a sin offering, which was to atone for the sins of the priests. 
Um, again, just think about the mess, uh, what's happening. And the priest would lay their hands on this bull, and in effect, he, he would become their sin offering for them. And, and um, that sacrifice was repeated each day for a week, um, not only for the cleansing of the priest, but it said also for the sanctifying of the altar where the priest would be ministering. And uh, here again, now Jesus is our sin offering, and through him we also find forgiveness. Uh, such an amazing deal. I, I touched on it a minute ago, but, um, you know, that, that God sees us in the perfection of his son just as if I had not sinned. So not only is that how he deals with us, but we're forgiven of all that mess too. And um, I don't know about you, I find that very comforting to know that I am forgiven of all that mess and, you know, the mess that I made today and the mess that I'll make tomorrow. Forgiven. So it's an amazing deal. It, I know that I don't take that lightly either. I know what it cook, but I'm, I want to be constantly aware of how God is moving and the forgiveness that's available to us in Christ and what that means. So, and now we see a picture of what was going on there every day, seven days for, for this whole process. Then uh, the, the priests were to be completely dedicated to God, verses 15 through 18, uh, and... Um, in, in um, the sacrifice of the burnt offering, the animal was completely given to the Lord, which was a picture of this total dedication. And again, there's a, and we have this, uh, the picture of our Lord himself um, giving himself totally and fully without reservation, not only in his ministry before the cross, but his willingness to sacrifice himself on the cross. And all that came with that, he totally committed all in completely doing all that uh, he was called to do. And, and the high priest and their associates were expected to develop them, devote themselves as well wholly to the work of the ministry, and it was to be the utmost concern of their hearts. Uh, if you were here last weekend, uh, you know, I talked about uh, loving Jesus with a supreme love, and we looked at different types of love, and that really the essence of this walk as a believer is, is not just decisions of the will, you know, which happen in the process of sanctification. We start to choose the right thing. But initially, it's, it's, uh, it's changing what we treasure and, and that Jesus becomes our treasure and the highest priority in our lives. And then out of that comes everything else. But, but that's, a, that's the significant change. That's really what happens in the life of a believer is that we choose to make Jesus the first and foremost in our life. And out of that comes everything else. And so um, that's that heart for him. Uh, I like this from uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Apostle, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is a, a picture of us, you know, walking in this life with, with Jesus as that supreme love, as that treasure of our lives. Then, I, uh, verses 19 through 22, I, I think this is interesting. When the priests are marked by the blood, and so not only did Moses sprinkle the blood on the altar, and, uh, uh, and Aaron and his sons uh, and, and the anointing oil, but, but each of the priests was marked 
with, and did you see where the blood went? On the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. Seems kind of interesting, right? That they, so the Moses Aaron, whoever was going for that part, would have some of that blood and grab their right earlobe, their right thumb, put some blood in there, and bent down and got their right big toe. And you think, well, why, why, would, why in the world is that? It's a reminder to them that they would, because you would remember somebody putting blood on your ear and your thumb and your toe, wouldn't you? I think you would. They had to listen to God's word. They had to do the things that God called them to do, and they would have to walk in the way of God. And it was a it was a reminder that they, and you would. It's a great reminder, right? And it, that works for today. We need to listen to the things of the Lord. We need to do the things that he calls us to do, and we need to walk in his way. So um, that's sort of that verse of being living sacrifices, that idea. If you can hang on to that, I think it's very helpful. The priests were fed. thought that was pretty cool to note that, uh, that some of this meat and stuff that was going on and some of the bread and some of the other things. I like, too, that, you know, there was a wave offering, so they would be given what their part was to meet, and they would sort of wave it to God. Like, Thank you. <laughs> And then they'd have a big meal. So we're going to start doing that on Wednesday nights. Uh, <laughs> we're going to wave that food around before we eat it. Um, and it, it, that it was actually waved and then shared in a fellowship meal. And the picture was if the, if the priests were faithful in um, the things that they were called to, they would never lack for sustenance. And uh, that reminds me of, you know, our promises we have in the, in the New Testament, you know, give us today our daily bread, the prayers that we make, that God takes care of us and that we can trust in him to do that. And the, the priest could certainly trust him. Unfortunately, you know what happens as time went on, all that system got corrupted really badly. And then they started to take advantage of it and started to steal and do the big mess that they had. And last uh, chunk of that verse, they were going to have to minister daily. And... Um, they, they, would, uh, they would rotate shifts, and, and, uh, but they were going to be, someone was going to be on call basically every day. And this would be their life, and this would be how they, they did their ministry. And I thought it was neat that each day the priest would sacrifice a lamb as a burnt offering, signifying the dedication of the people to God. And when the day would end, they would offer another burnt lamb as a another another lamb as a burnt offering, and I, I think it's a great picture of us opening our days and closing our days surrendered to the Lord. I think that's really what we should be looking at: that we get up and do our best to get started right with Him, and at the end of the day, we sort of acknowledge Him and settle accounts with Him, if you will, and make that process. And it's kind of a picture of that happening there. Okay, that's enough out of that chapter for today. We'll pick it up next week in chapter 30. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Prayer page, and we will pray for you, and come and see us when you can.